Yeah, but still, do you want to start or shall I start? Uh, I think you can start. Shall Go I? for it, yes. Okay, let me get my... What's the word for... Uh, in Georgian, we use the Russian word špargalka, which is the note, like hidden notes, more like, you know, if you have an exam and you kind of have some notes. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So these are the notes that no one should see. Stronga, we say in yeah? Polish. How? Stronga. Stronga, so špargalka. Hello and welcome to the Kitchen Conversations podcast. My name is Patricia Rozvora and I'm the host of this platform where we speak about contemporary art from so-called Eastern Europe. In each episode, you're going to be introduced to one artist or researcher whose visual or activist practice sheds light onto the complex former socialist region with all its histories, cultures, languages, foods, but also traumas and their inevitable contemporary consequences. The podcast is a fully independent platform existing since May 2020. If you enjoy the monthly conversations, you can support me via Patreon or share the episode with your friends or via social channels. Welcome back, dear listeners. As you probably have seen, this is episode number 50. And on that special occasion, I prepared for you something rather different. For this conversation, I met with artist and good friend of mine, Sofia Tabatadze, who was actually already a guest on the podcast a while ago. But this time, Sofia was interviewing me the creator and host of Kitchen Conversations. And since usually it is the guests who are in the spotlight this time, I decided to share with you a little bit more about myself, the podcast, and the way I work and think. Hope you enjoy. So it was 2022 when you did the interview with me, so now I feel like very honored to be asked to do interview, the reciprocal interview. Exactly. So that's really nice and very special because I have listened to a podcast of you before as a kind of preparation and then after you have interviewed me, I've been kind of following your work and I really enjoy this. So it's really nice to be now here as a host and to host the main person of the kitchen conversation. Exactly. Well, that so was that's like really the, nice. The idea of this episode. So why did you why did you think to ask me to do this interview? Uh, one of the last meetings we had, uh, we went to eat in Kreuzberg. And then afterwards I realized how much I told you. And usually even if I meet with close friends, I don't really speak so much and I'm rather like the one listening. So I thought like, wow, there is something like somehow special about maybe you or our friendship that you give me enough of space or like maybe attention that I open up and speak, uh, which doesn't happen to me often. So I thought, yeah, maybe that, that could be something to explore in this episode. Uh, outside of that, yeah, I think there's a lot of things that connect us in our practices. We, funnily enough, did the same education, the same art academy which I think shaped us in some way as well. I had few people on my list that I thought would be nice to, to have them interview me and then you were somehow on top. And also my partner Jonas said, yeah, I think Sofia is like the best choice. 
<laughs> nice. Yeah, that's why I feel honored. That's really good. Okay, so since we already mentioned or since you already mentioned this uh, same education, maybe we can start there because this was also something that we discovered during the interview that so we both fun. studied in Amsterdam at the Rietveld Academy from the light of how that education shaped you and how that education would be different from if you would study in Poland, for example. I guess maybe I would like to start a little bit before that. So maybe when I was seven, I was kind of like this typical kid who was drawing. You know, we, I think once we were laughing about it, that like, yeah, all kids draw and then you just become an artist. No, it doesn't work like this. But somehow for me, I really love drawing. And then with age of seven, I told my mom I would like to go to a class or some kind of moment where I can draw and someone can tell me what I can do farther with. So today we would call it feedback. <laughs> and uh, this happens I, I since like, yeah, I was seven till I think till I was 16. Uh, I was um, taking uh, classes in drawing and painting with this amazing artist who has her own theater studio. So her partner is a theater maker and together they do they're in the theater and she's a painter herself. And then she was teaching uh, kids and adults. And that's where I kind of, I guess, fell in love with art, but also like the way you can work with art and what you can do with art. And then when I finished uh, yeah, my studies, my like normal high school, not an art high school or anything, I was like, yeah, what to do now? <laughs> and then somehow doing creative things was the only thing which I thought is where I want to be. Yeah, I had, of course, the, the privilege that I, uh, for yeah many years, studied as well in English and Polish. So I had like the English language uh, with me and my parents had the possibility to, to also yeah, open me the world a bit more that I could study abroad. And that was the idea that I will kind of go abroad and uh, study art there. But of course, none of us none of us had an idea what art is and how you can study it. And the first idea of my parents kind of directing me was like, perhaps you could do design because that's something more tangible, you know, like uh, yeah, architecture or like uh, industrial design, something, yeah, it's kind of art, but it's also functional. So that's how I found the school in Eindhoven, the design academy. I had some friends... Uh, already studying uh, in Holland back then. And then I applied uh, to Eindhoven and I think I got in for like a waiting list. And then I was like, oh, I already kind of had this idea. I'm moving out from Poland. I'm going to like start my adult life. Uh, how old were you back then? 18, 18 and a half, between 18 and 19, okay. something like this. And then I thought, okay, I have, I'm on this waiting list, so probably I'm not getting in, but I already want to move. So I thought, okay, I will look for like some course that I could do in between, like a preparation course for applying again mm -hmm. uh, next year to Eindhoven. And that's how I found like the preparatory course uh, in Amsterdam in the Rietveld. And I got in, I attended the course and the year after I applied again for the design academy, but then I already knew I'm not a designer, but I'm an artists are more like into fine arts. So Rietveld Re reshaped you a bit Definitely. differently. So then and then I guess I just jumped into the hall of Rietveld education. And uh, yeah, I did then the basic year and then the 
three years photography department. Uh, I'm very curious about the Ritfold education in your case, but before we go in there, um, since your Kitchen Conversations is focused on Middle and Eastern Europe, um, and I myself come from Georgia, uh, when I went to study abroad, and that was also Amsterdam, also Ritfold, also the first thing I tried somehow and I got accepted, well, for you, it's second thing, but still, you know, it's the first kind of step. Mm. Um, and Poland is kind of, I mean, there is no question if Poland is European or not, you know, and for Georgia, it's always the question as well. Uh, and Poland is more towards, let's say, Western Europe. I wonder how big deal it is to go outside from there and to study abroad, because in my case, it was very big deal. Yeah, I want to say it wasn't such a big deal, <laughs> but I guess it was. But like I really jumped in and I was in the moment and I, um, yeah, really kind of lived into it. But I think it's important uh, to, in my case, to think or remember that I grew up like bilingual and my mom mm, lived very long in Germany and I always had like this yeah, I guess like bilinguality, but also the idea of that Poland's not the only thing. And we traveled also a lot with my parents. Uh, and my dad also for a long time uh, lived in Germany as well and in Libya. So I guess I always, yeah, I had the privilege to a bit like live a bit outside as well of the Polish reality. And maybe that's why it wasn't uh, so difficult for me. Uh, but for sure, I surrounded myself at the beginning with like Polish people. I think that's something natural. I lived for a long time also with uh, two amazing Polish women. You want to send hello to them? <laughs> <laughs> hello to Kasia and Zuza, the best flatmates. And where, where did you move from to Amsterdam? Close to Warsaw. Yeah. Close to Warsaw. Okay. So I studied in Warsaw, but my family always lived a bit outside of okay. Warsaw. Yeah. So also commuting was like part of my life as well. I always commuted a lot. So maybe that's also somehow... You were on the wheels already. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, okay, so then you went to Amsterdam and uh, you, you never studied in, in Art Academy in Poland. No, I didn't. But like knowing and interviewing probably many Polish people and stuff, like could you draw some conclusions of how the, how the two educations could have been different if you have tried the other one as well? Yeah, I think recently actually I had a very interesting talk uh, with a Polish uh, painter actually who did her education in the uh, Academy in Łódź. And I was very shocked how it still works there. You know, this idea that it's a very conservative education. She really said, yeah, it's still like this. I mean, it's changing, but it is really like this. There's a, a room of people. There is a model in the middle of the room and you just like draw the model. And, and the next course is from sculpture, for example, and everyone does the same. Uh, what I thought was very shocking that like the assignments people get, at least that was like in one case, but I can imagine you cannot generalize all the art schools in Poland, but that the assignments are very uh, technical, very crafty, which can be also good, but are very specifically defined of what people should do in what format. So let's say A for drawing with uh, charcoal and it should be uh, of a human body. So very, very defined. And how uh, I 
learned about art. It was more about what you're making and not with what tools uh, or in what size or with what purpose as well. So we, we worked with assignments. So let's say you had to uh, make an object that fits through the door. And that was like from the design class. And people just like did whatever. So, you know, they didn't tell us do it from wood or do it from paper. People got super creative. And I think that was also what it was all about. And the way we learned was uh, through conversation. So projects were usually done at home or during the free time we had in the academy. And the moment we had like the class with the teachers, also we didn't call them professors, which I think is something still very practiced in Polish art schools. You would just exchange uh, feedback. So you would yeah, listen to your colleagues, what they have to comment on it, and also the, the teachers, which I thought was like probably the hardest thing of this education. I think I have seen many crying people during the feedbacks. I mean, really a lot, including myself. But somehow it kind of makes you stronger. Uh, you kind of learn how to... T maybe no one taught us how to give feedback, but we kind of learned how, do learn, how learn to it. take feedback. Which and how is, to give also, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, if I would like do a comparison, I guess like the art education in Poland, we would say is more conservative, uh, more focused on a specific medium. So if you decide you are a painter, you're painting. You're not like doing photos or you're not like doing ceramics. You you're are doing painting. objects that can fit through the... Uh, <laughs> no. through the uh, and you're wheel. learning the hard way. You're doing like all kinds of techniques, which probably is also cool. You're really like becoming a craftsperson, which, uh, yeah, we could develop, I think, in our education in the Rietveld Academy, but you really had to go to the workshops and ask the people to teach you this. Uh, and yeah, the, the education we did, I think, really focuses on on us. So mm -hmm. who we are in this world, what do we want to say? The artwork or the medium is just an expression of what we want to bring through our mm -hmm. art. Do you, do you think of yourself as an artist? That's a tough one. I ask myself this every day <laughs> and then I always have different answers. Yet when someone asks me, actually when I meet people and you know the first thing is like, where are you from? Because of the accent and what do you do? <laughs> then I say I'm the artist. I'm an artist and it's kind of like exotic and nice. Unless you meet Not artists. in Berlin. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. If you meet artists, it's like one more struggling. <laughs> so yeah, I say like, yes, I am an artist or I studied art or I, you know, then I'm kind of like tongue twist and then I'm already like confronting myself with the idea of who uh, I am. Uh, 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 totally. Artist, yeah. I guess I am an artist because I, this is what I did for like most of my life, surround myself with art and with culture. And this is like the, the way I also understand things and the way I explore the world, I guess, through the, the lens of art. Uh, but I don't produce art or I'm not an artist like our art school wanted us to be, you know, this like independent artist. Okay, so on on one of those tough days that you wake up and you ask this question and you say to yourself, no, I'm not an artist, forget about it. What is, like, what, what is the highest score of you are not an artist answer? Yeah, I recently had this like realization, which is pretty like a tough one, but I think because I'm quite insecure 
And I think if if you want to make it as an artist in this tough world, you really have to believe in yourself and sell yourself as being like the best artist around here who everyone should come and watch. And I really don't have that. And probably that's why I somehow through my artistic career took the position of the one more accommodating art, uh, be it the podcasts or events I do and working with artists, still appreciating art and, but more, yeah, being maybe this art mediator to show people maybe outside of the art circle how important art is, but not so much focused on the persona of the artist. So yeah, you already said a little bit why it went into that direction. Tell me about the first podcast or how the podcast idea came to your mind. Who was your guest? It was actually someone from Georgia. Long story short, actually the podcast was uh, the final project from my master's study. So we said, yeah, we spoke about the Rietfeld. It was like the bachelor. And after the Rietfeld, I was like lost. <laughs> I was like, what do I do with this? I'm not... I don't really maybe feel like doing, as, as we were saying, this independent art. I kind of was missing a little bit like theory. At the end of my studies, uh, my bachelor's studies, I really got into thinking about feminism and I wanted to speak through my art about those bigger topics, but I had no no knowledge about it. So this is how I started doing my master at the Sandberg Institute. That's like a, let's say, sister institution of the Rietveld. And I did a more theoretical study where we uh, read a lot and we spoke a lot. We worked mainly with text. So it was still an art school, uh, but like the visual was not such a big part of it, but more the theoretical and also the more academic part and the research part uh, was a big uh, yeah factor in this uh, two-year study. I did my master's study. And this is where I developed the podcast. So somehow... I combined the the working with the art and the visual with more words and text. Somehow this format came to me. That was also in the beginning of the pandemic, where I think a lot of people started listening to podcasts and making podcasts. Mm -hmm. uh, and then somehow it came to me. Also, yeah, my partner works with sound, so maybe that was also something... That was easy because I had all the mics and all the equipment and the person who could mix it all. So that's more like the technical part, uh, but the subject part, that's something perhaps more yeah, worth sharing as well. Uh, yeah, studying in Amsterdam for a lot of years, I felt quite disconnected actually to my my identity, my national identity and also like the place I came from. And I guess for many of, of us, also those who listen to the podcast, you know, living abroad makes you somehow closer to home as well because mm -hmm. you're missing it and you want to explore it. Maybe that's a way of feeling closer. And this happened to me as well. And I started to explore topics of Polishness also with all these crazy things which were happening with the Conservative Peace Party getting into power. And this is how I also came to, to be interested in what's happening actually in Poland and outside of it because I didn't somehow feel anymore 
fully Polish, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I felt like I'm somewhere in between. So I wanted to look at the broader context of Eastern Europe, Central Eastern Europe, the post-Soviet part of the world to understand why is it actually working somehow different here where I study, how people think, how people interact to what I know. And all these thoughts uh, came with a frustration that the school is really not providing any of these. So there was no art being discussed from this region. There was also later in my uh, master's study, no text coming from that part of the world. It could be also, of course, the, the issue of uh, language because we studied in English and then our, the region of yeah, Central Eastern Europe has so many different languages. I think it's lack of focus more than the language, right? I mean, the language can be translated. Maybe it's just an start, excuse, yeah. Yeah, it's just more like looking at the like to the east is not really done from the Western Europe. I think. I think now it changed, right? Yeah, and maybe like well, if I kind of remember only like some filmmakers go to Poland to study. Otherwise, I'm always surprised when, you know, you always meet people to from, to go who go from east to west to study. And then every time I meet someone who went from west to east to study, I'm always like, oh, wow, with little adoration, like, oh, nice. But usually mm -hmm. like Poland would kind of offer this very good technical um, That's true, the skills, film is pretty film. strong. Yeah. yeah, so that would be kind of the one thing that Poland would really offer people that couldn't really get it. Otherwise, it's, I don't know, Eastern Europe is still looked down to, I think. It's kind of, it's not the focus. You it's don't like really the one that's kind of wanting to catch up, right? Exactly, yeah. So yeah, I, I felt this and now I can speak it about it and theorize it why it's like this, but I just felt it. And while studying, I connected with amazing people who had the same feeling. Mm -hmm. We created a like, reading group, it was called, but actually it was like a support group to just share a coffee and discuss our works and like the frustration with the Rietveld and the Sandberg, mm -hmm. <laughs> both uh, art schools in Amsterdam. In the conversation, the idea of also, yeah, podcast format came. So mm -hmm. definitely those people are, yeah, part of why I also had like the power to do it. The concept, the first episode uh, and the idea of the podcast was my final work uh, from my master's study. And then I just continued. And the first episode, just to the shortly yeah, answer everything, was with Misho Antadze, a Georgian filmmaker, uh, he was part of the reading group. He wasn't uh, studying with us, but he was interested uh, in these topics and he had similar experiences in Amsterdam. And I just really appreciated his work and also the his expertise in a way because he knows a lot about cinema, about art and about, uh, yeah, in this uh, case, the Caucasus. And we met uh, in his house. He lived like uh, next door almost, which was kind of convenient for Corona times. Mm -hmm. And I recorded with this small uh, yeah, dictaphone, which is now like my backup. Yeah, sometimes I still listen back to it or I switch it on for like two minutes <laughs> to, to listen how it sounded at the very beginning. Because I, funny enough, it's the first episode. So I think if people like discover the podcast, they often go to the first episode. <laughs> so it's a, probably the most listened yes, to? Yes, definitely. Yeah. I still like it, I think, but just because the guest was uh, yeah, super uh, interesting and his work is great. We spoke about uh, his film uh, about cryptocurrency mining in uh, Georgia. But yeah, I think I, I improved in many ways. Uh, so that's, of course, a good, good thing. It's interesting how you choose your guests. 
Well, I, I find them in through very different channels, as easy as Instagram or social media, through different art magazines, exhibitions, of course, mouth propaganda, so uh, a guest sharing another uh, artist or friend who they think would fit. It has to be a nice person. Okay, that's a good criteria. I don't want to spend like an hour speaking to someone who I, you know, I don't vibe. And it's also my project, it's my platform, so I can decide, you know. Of course, interesting uh, artists, so people who have something to say with their art, and it speaks to me, of course, because it's uh, very subjective. And people who, I would say, uh, speak about... Central, Eastern uh, Europe, Central Asia, the Caucasus uh, through their work. But it is somehow work that could be understood as political work or activist work, somehow engaged art. So not purely visual, but somehow art that also gains from speaking about it, right? Because we are speaking one hour about someone's work. Some art maybe doesn't have to be so much spoken about. Maybe you just have to look at it and feel it. But I guess the, the artists I'm inviting and the people I want to also yeah, speak with is people who have a lot to say, I guess, through their work and uh, as a person, as a creator as well. If you say nice person, I of course understand then I kind of have my definition of a nice person, but I would be curious if you can define a nice person. Yeah, recently someone talking about someone else, like we were in a space and they were like, yeah, and we are now working with this person and she's really like our person. And I thought it's it, we spoke in Polish, so it sounded better. She was like, just like a nasza osoba. It felt so nice because it... You know, it's just some, somehow you feel that it's your person. Not with everyone you feel you could be friends. But in some way, I think with all my guests, I continue yeah, keeping in touch. And I guess a nice person would be someone who respects you in a way. You can have like a conversation on the same level in a way that like you both give each other space for thoughts and opinions. And... Just the energy has to fit. And did you have a situation where you kind of wanted to interview someone and then you thought like, no, maybe this doesn't fit and you kind of withdrew it, withdrew from it? So uh, usually I do like a pre-meeting or a pre-call to exactly find out about the energy and also like the way people speak, if they speak quick or taking a lot of time for their arguments. And I have to also adjust a little bit the interview later on, how I structure it. So it's important for me to at least for 10, 15 minutes uh, meet this person before we actually sit down and speak in depth about work. So few times I had the first call. And it's just, I think, yeah, it didn't really fit. And then it's not, I think I didn't push for like meeting again. And then the, the person also somehow, yeah, it just didn't work. Uh, one time I had also a situation that like we did the whole process with the recording and the, the guests didn't like what they were saying. Okay. Like, so they, they, it was also a little bit difficult and uh, we decided to not release the episode. I would say I have a good gut feeling for it. And, you know, to be honest, we are in a bubble. You know, usually I, I don't really choose my guests from very, very like far away circles. Mm -hmm. And I feel we are kind of 
our people. Yeah. Still, yeah. Still, I kind of now I think for myself what would be kind of a bad um, guest for me, and I think someone narcissistic would be kind of probably hard to Ooh, talk but to. But that's hard in art, right? Exactly, and that's what I wanted to ask you because there is this kind of definition that you know. In art, like they're all narcissists. From non-artists, this is kind of how they look at us. But for my own experience, uh, yeah, you know, there are good people you meet and they're absolutely not that. So like, would you say artists are usually very narcissist or like as a general rule? Maybe good artists, yeah. Like those who make it. Like good artists also what it means. But I mean those who we know and who show in big places thing, yeah. So the reason why you didn't become artist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, no. But in a way for the podcast, I think it's not a problem because I anyway ask and it's a space for people to share about them and their work. So maybe a bit of narcissism is actually also good, you know? I mean, it's called Kitchen Conversations, but it is still a form of an interview where I'm asking the questions and the person has way more space to share. And uh, yeah, sometimes people like really share and share and share and I don't have space to ask questions. <laughs> but let's say if you talk to people, it would be very interesting, of course, if they share their insecurities and if they share about, you know, sometimes they might look like super cool from the outside, but then they have many questions and the questions would be the same. That's why I said maybe we can come back to that insecurities because Ooh. lately I'm more <laughs> interested in uh, that I mean, it's also a definition what we call narcissist. You know, it's not necessarily someone who can really fluently talk about themselves because still those persons, people, people can give the space to the others. I mean, if you can share something about your own insecurities within the art world, uh, within your own practice, what are the biggest challenges, let's say? Maybe what are the things you would like to kind of get rid of? Wow, that's a big one. I didn't prepare for it. Maybe it needs a bit more uh, time to, to think about it, but I will just uh, say the first things that come in mind. I can still edit it out later. <laughs> You're the host here. <laughs> <laughs> We're sitting in my space. <laughs> I'm interviewing and you are still the host. That's a good one. <laughs> I guess when I'm in the spotlight, I it's funny because I like to in some way be in the spotlight, but uh, it also brings me insecurity. So when I have to really speak about a work of art I did, I prefer if someone else would speak about it, for example. So this confrontation with showing your piece, your art. Your heart. Your heart to people who yeah, don't know what, how much you put into it. Maybe it's very simple, but somehow this, this very moment. And with the podcast is different because also I do it with someone else. So it's always like maybe divides this energy and also I'm not in the center of attention. I'm hosting it, of course, but I give the platform to the other. And if I think of insecurities connected to the podcast, it's definitely the language. It's a thing I also speak a lot with my guests. The fact that I do the podcast in English, which is not my native uh, language, but also my native language, Polish, I couldn't do the podcast in because I'm quite disconnected to the, the language. And then there's German that I always used. I speak German with my mom and now I work uh, in German here in Berlin. 
but I couldn't speak about art in German. So somehow I feel like a bit this disconnection that I don't have a strong one language that I can express myself in. And of course, I work with language. I host a podcast. <laughs> so there's always this insecurity, especially if I speak to guests that are uh, English native speakers that happens or people who live for a long time in an English speaking country. I find myself judging myself and the way I, I construct Uh, sentences and perhaps the mistakes I make, although I find it also um, a nice part of my podcast that we speak in accents and we all speak different Englishes. But in a way, I think this middle ground is pretty nice and it is inviting to people because, you know, if you would be like native English speaker, uh, it would be for them hard. So in a way to kind of meet in the middle ground and to talk about something which is anyway hard to articulate and then in a language that is not your native language but then again within your language it might be hard because like in Georgian I also don't discuss too much about art you know mm. so I wonder if you would kind of be concentrating on on more like Western Europe if the food would come into the post podcast uh, to that extent that it is in the kitchen conversations you're asking such good questions <laughs> Wow, I feel like I could learn from you. The idea of the food was from the beginning there. So that was something I had like in the concept of the podcast, that the food will be always part of it. And it states that like the, the last question of the podcast or one of the questions will be about food and tastes of home to also kind of go a bit away from this heaviness of theory and uh, concepts uh, to speak about something more tangible and something, yeah different types of knowledge and uh, the more like felt and embodied knowledge mm -hmm. and um, it's hard to say I guess everyone has a connection to food no matter where you're from but it is definitely something that I guess uh, makes this post-socialist region somehow connected as well since we had similar food exchanges because of the trading inside the, the Soviet Union. Central Eastern Europe have similar cuisines. I think like Georgia and Poland have like rather different tastes because of like the the sun and the ground and so on. But I feel... Sgushonka would be something that everyone would know, let's say. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> Condensed true. milk. Exactly. So there is similar taste and I think it's a nice way to also show that there is some shared history. Then there is this kitchens also, right? I mean, the name of the podcast Kitchen Conversations, like kitchen was a central point of life. It was like the heated room. It was also, I guess, in the culture, like this gathering in the kitchens... But I feel there there is maybe some kind of stereotype about like this good host, you know, and being like always having a lot of food on the table and like this abundance of like alcohol and this pickles. And yeah, so maybe there is this, this thing as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I think of Phil, I mean, yeah, everyone, everyone has the kitchen, everyone has some something with food and it's easy to talk about and stuff. But then if you kind of look at the films, it's always interesting because in Asian films like Chinese, Taiwanese, Japanese probably as well, um, there would be always food. If you watch the film, 
there will be always eating. I mean, there is just no way. Food is like so... That's right. And that's within true, yeah. the U- Western European films, there is like food is almost like as, as if we don't don't consume anything. And it's interesting, this converse, this this kind of approach to food. For example, also if you set up an exhibition, if you're a curator and you do something, you never really think about the food. It's more like, you know, I don't know, people just eat. If you're a dancer and you put up a show or something, then you always include food because you know that people at one point will get hungry because, you know, they physical, they, activity, physical yeah, and yeah. then they will be. So it's interesting, you know, how how hidden the food is and how part of how much it is part of culture and how not. So it's both stereotype, of course, one or the other, but there is some general kind of, um, yeah, I don't know, waves to how people talk or show themselves eating you know I guess in my case also more like a personal angle to it that when I started thinking about uh, the project as well and more interested in like Poland and Polish culture and broadly Eastern Europe that's where one of my grandmas passed away and she really uh, was like this typical grandma always in the kitchen and she really uh, kind of pushed a lot of my interest in this, but also in a way motivated me to explore this um, more domestic also ways of yeah producing knowledge, very like academic way of saying, but you know, like different ways of how we can uh, write history and understand stuff through taste and through the labor in the kitchen and through like care work. Now I also think of something, which might be another tricky, <laughs> tricky question to answer. But um, for many of us, it's like super hard to listen to our own voice because as we know, this changes very much. The way you hear your own voice through your ears is very different than how it's recorded and how the others The same as it. we see each other, no? In the mirror, right? like how you see each- yourself in the mirror. Exactly, because you don't really see yourself in the... You like you kind of almost pose every time you see yourself in the mirror. So more than mirror, I would say, if you see yourself filmed, it's very different than how you perceive yourself. Yeah, indeed. So the same with this. You, you can always go back and listen to the podcast and measure yourself in terms of how good were your questions, how sharp you were. This seems to me like super hardcore position to have. (laughs) (laughs) Talking of insecurities again. So what what would, I mean, is it hard for you to listen? Like there are some podcasts probably that didn't work out so well and then you kind of feel like totally like peinlich, like embarrassing to listen to them or like, or not? Or like, how is it to kind of, you can, there is always a document that you can go back and reflect. So maybe also interesting to say that I do everything myself. So I do the recording and the editing, the whole process by myself. I just have my amazing partner who is doing the final sound. So it's like, it's nice to listen all kinds of equipment. So small headphones or like speakers and so on. Uh, so I am confronted a lot with my with my voice, the voice, the sound of my voice. So when I edit, I listen a lot to the different parts and then to the whole thing again. Then I also listen on uh, like a phone again after it's like mixed together. So somehow I also disconnect from it. It's funny. I guess at the beginning it was more painful. <laughs> now I just 
it's just like a voice that is hosting this conversation is somehow not me because I'm also editing my own voice. I'm like editing something that is not me. I don't know. Often in the when I have this live recording, then I feel like, oh, it went so, I don't know, I was it wasn't my day. I was not focused. Often uh, what is very hard is when you ask a question and you listen to the answer, but you just like are already thinking of like what to ask next that you cannot focus on what the person is uh, replying. It's I think quite a yeah, difficult thing to, to learn actually in interviewing. Uh, while I edit and I listen back to it, it's like, oh, I didn't actually it was quite okay. It wasn't so bad. So yeah. And you, I love You almost the, have a like, second chance to listen to it carefully without thinking, def- without yeah, yeah. formulating the next That's question. For no? sure. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. It's a, a new experience. I also understand way more of the interview uh, when I edit. So like I, I catch more things. And I really love the editing process. So I think you can also twist a lot of things I'm I'm not really like changing you know I'm not moving uh, answers to different spots but I do cut quite a lot to make it more uh, yeah smooth smooth and interesting to listen kind of give the tempo and of course I can also twist a little bit how I say stuff sometimes I also re-record my parts not often but sometimes when it's really bad <laughs> or I feel like this was really not representative of how I want to yeah, appear, but uh, I also always send the recordings uh, when they are cut and mixed to the people so they can listen before it's online. And sometimes they are like, do I have to listen because I don't want to? Like, I can't. It is really hard, yeah. It <laughs> and then really I'm like, hard. no, you don't have to. I mean, it's just... <laughs> did you listen to our uh, conversation? I did, yeah. yeah. You, you, you said you did. But it is, it is kind of... Yeah, you almost want to kind of, I don't know, I have this with my own images, video images and sound that you see it and you almost want to kind of not to see it. <laughs> As if it's not for your eyes. You, you kind of look through your eyes. You yeah, shouldn't yeah. be. There should be no yourself in, in that. Mm. <laughs> Is there a dream guest that you hope to interview once and have not had the chance yet to approach? <laughs> yeah. I guess like I I always observe also which episodes are being listened more or what is yeah interesting to people and I guess I see some trends or subjects or artists that are speaking about current topics of course like Ukrainian artists or Belarusian artists uh, also artists from like different uh, republics in Russia I think I did a few of these and people really I think were interested in hearing these voices, a bit more established artists, you can see that they have more, yeah, networks and then more people naturally listen to it. F- fandom. Yeah, and but then the idea of the podcast was actually give platform to those that aren't yet out there, you know, to those who, yeah, perhaps don't have the space because of the region they come from, because of the topics they explore. So I'm a bit in between, you know, I want to develop the platform, but then um, I still want to keep to my concept. Uh, but yeah, dream guest. Um, there's one uh, Polish Roma artist, uh, Małgorzata Mirga Tas, that I would really love to, do you know her work? Who was in the, in, on, the, on the Venice Bayern? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I really uh, yeah, admire what she does and she's kind of a... Um, uh, a little bit of a f- yeah famous artist at the moment showing everywhere and there I feel it's already a little bit harder to to approach. I also f- uh, heard that she is not so 
willing to do. She doesn't like doing interviews. She doesn't like to speak about her art. She likes other people to speak about her art. So yeah, maybe I'm thinking that would be if if, if to name someone, you know. Mm-hmm. To conclude, shall we? So let's say if podcast is a way to kind of get off your head and from the conceptual work uh, and cooking as well, what, what, what are the other means of expression that you would do daily or non-daily as a way to kind of loosen up from the conceptual framework and just do things that you like to do? So actually last year I did a drawing challenge out of the blue, I guess. I also was like coming back from my New Year's uh, party. Resolution. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> party slash resolution. <laughs> Going in the tram and being like, why don't I draw more? And then I was like, let's go hardcore and do one drawing a day. And uh, yeah, I did it. So last year I was drawing every day. And drawing and painting is somehow my practice. I always did that, but I somehow never thought it's like my conceptual art, you know. I I studied photography, more like photography as a research, I would say, more than a medium of photography, but still, yeah, somehow drawing I I left a bit behind, although I really, really enjoy it. And I focused on I'm going to do something every day that I enjoy, and now I have like 365 drawings, which is amazing, and I... Yeah, it was fun to just do something that is kind of within, of course, the visual or the craft, but I'm not sure I would call it art also. I guess you could write a whole conceptual story to it, to it but I enjoyed doing something just for doing something. Nice. Thank you so much for the interview, Sophia. Is there something uh, we should still say that I didn't ask? Ah, yeah, 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 let's do the favorite food. Okay, so since we talked so much about the food and importance of food in some parts and not, what's your favorite food? My favorite Polish food? Say just favorite food. It would be Polish. (laughs) (laughs) This was a trick question, right? (laughs) I guess like the most happy I am when I eat like this typical three-part dish that has like the... You know, the meat, the potatoes, and like the kraut. Because I, and somehow in my life, I don't do these things anymore because this is so ingrained in the Polish eating that you always have like the piece of meat, the potato, and like the a bit of salad. But somehow it makes me so happy to, to eat it. I don't eat meat. I'm vegetarian, big part of my living vegan as well. But there are so many places which actually do this now, but like in a vegan format. So in, in Warsaw, I went to this like traditional Polish place, but they replace everything, like all these meat uh, cutlets uh, or like the meatballs with like a vegetarian vegan options. And it made me so happy that I can again uh, eat this kind of simple thing. And, you, you know, like the parents used to always say like, Eat the meat and leave the potatoes and the, the salad. <laughs> I like this image of Trinity somehow, the meat and the potatoes and the crowd.
was it for today. Thank you for reaching till the end of this podcast episode. The next one is coming in four weeks, always on Monday. Please follow the podcast and leave a rating if you're listening on Spotify. There is two ways you can support the further development of this platform. Number one is to buy the Kitchen Conversations cookbook, Homey Recipes from Artists, that features uh, home dishes from the first 17 guests who appeared on the podcast. And number two is to become a patron of Kitchen Conversations and support uh, this platform with an amount of your choice that starts with $2.50 per month. More info you can find on patreon.com slash kitchen conversations. In the meantime, take good care and we hear each other soon.